Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit mbcocala.com slash stories to tell us your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Today, we're hearing a message from our series entitled Filter. Whether or not we are aware of it, our beliefs color the way we view reality. They set our priorities, make our decisions, and determine our outcomes. At Meadowbrook, we believe the best outcomes stem from having a biblical worldview. Let's welcome our online audience as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope that God meets you where you're at. Um, I know this is a lot of clapping at the start of service, but don't get tired of it because I still got to preach. Okay, so you can shout me down or tell me that's good preacher. You can clap. That, those things, those are, those are good. I feed off your energy. So we'll have fun this morning. I want to remind you that uh, small groups, the summer uh, semester of small groups is kicking off in just a few weeks. And so next Sunday is the deadline uh, to, to apply for a, a small group if you want to lead one. And then the following week, the 22nd, is when signups officially open. So we've just seen so much life change and fruit in people's lives because of a small group. And we would encourage you maybe to be a part of that. Uh, but if you're here today and I don't know you, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here, and it's my privilege to spend the morning with you. And you're probably saying, where's Pastor Tim? Uh, but as many of you know, this last Monday he had his third and final surgery on his arm uh, after his accident last Thanksgiving, and everything went exactly as they were hoping. He's already got better range of motion and flex in that hand and is already full bore into physical therapy again. So yeah, give a, give a hand for that. And he wanted me to make sure that, that I uh, relayed his love and, and his thanks for all the prayers. Uh, he and mom will be back next Sunday kicking off a brand new series called Essentials. So we hope that you would be here for that. And this is now the second weekend series in a row that he's made me close the series out, right? Six-week series. He teaches five parts, knocks it out of the park, and says, son, why don't you close it out for me? So no pressure there. Uh, but today's a big day. Today my daughter turns three. And... Uh, yeah, she loves Star Wars. She's obsessed with Star Wars, and uh, the force is strong with her. Um, so as soon as service is over today, we're headed down to Disney to make her dreams come true. But today is also a big day because it's Mother's Day, and we, we're recognizing that in a variety of ways. But as with any holiday, I realize that holidays can be different things for different people. Uh, whether it's Christmas or, or Mother's Day or Father's Day or just any holiday that we recognize, for some of us, uh, there, there's nostalgia and joy and warmth and sentiment that we associate with that. But then maybe for some of you, some holidays are not as joyful. And so I want to read a statement to you that we share most every Mother's Day. And it's just kind of something to get all our hearts on the same page, realizing that Mother's Day can mean different things for different people. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and you wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us for when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder for you than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, or spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. 
To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and you long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn with you that life has not turned out yet the way you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on your grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have empty your nest in the coming year, we both grieve and rejoice with you. (laughs) To those who placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness, and we remember how you will hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you, the moms. Happy Mother's Day. Well, as I mentioned, we are closing out our current weekend series called Filter, and this has been a six-week series. So obviously, I don't have time right now to recap the last five weeks prior to this, uh, but I do encourage you to go back online and you can watch that, listen to it, download our mobile app. All those resources are available to you because we want the message uh, to be something that you can take with you and and apply to your life. Uh, But plain and simple, what does filter mean? We've been looking at what it means to have a biblical worldview. Realizing that all of us see uh, the world through, through a lens or, or, or a filter in our life. Now, our filters and our lenses, they can be cracked, they can be broken, they can be discolored or affected by different life experiences, things we've gone through, different beliefs maybe we used to have, our upbringing, just our background. All kinds of things can shape what we view the world through. But it's important that we see the world in a proper way. And I believe as God's children, we are called to have a biblical worldview where we see the world and what's going on through the lens of Scripture because I believe God's Word has something to say about everything that we would encounter. Now, here's why having a biblical worldview is better. Because when we see better, we can choose better. When we choose better, then we can live better. And ultimately, when we live better, we can relate better, both to God and to other people. And so last week, Pastor Tim got into what he called the root issues. These were five values or principles that are present in our life as a result of holding a biblical worldview. Now, these five root issues were pertaining specifically to how we relate to God, how we relate to God. And they were this they were discernment, integrity, humility, simplicity, and possibility. Discernment, integrity, humility, simplicity, Impossibility. Now, obviously, I don't have time to go back and reteach those, but today we're going to jump from the root issues to what we call the fruit issues. If the root issues have to do with how we relate to God, then the fruit issues we'll look at today, these values have everything to do with how we relate to other people. How many of you have other people in your life? It's more than just you. You have neighbors, you have family, you have friends, coworkers, people you like, people you don't like, people you love to see coming, people you run the other way when you see them coming. There's other people in our life. And, and I believe that if we are putting God first, if we are properly relating to him and the root issues, then the, the test of that, the, the, the fruit of that is seen in these other values that we are going to uncover today. But here's what you got to understand is that all five of these values Love is the thread that holds them together. 
Love is, is, is the common thing. It is the motivating factor. Now, how many of y'all would be humble enough to admit that there's room to grow in your love walk? That, that there's times where you've missed it or you've flown off the handle and you didn't walk in love with someone how you knew you should and you regretted it. In the last 24 hours, I've missed the opportunity to walk in love. Uh, I reacted in ways that I regret, and I would not want an instant replay to show up on the, on the screen for you this morning. I'm embarrassed of even the way I've acted in the last 24 hours. And, and maybe today you've, you've already done something where you say, man, I could, have, I could have walked in love there. Well, today this is a call to love better. Because everything God did through giving his son, the motivating factor was love. And everything Jesus did for us on the cross, everything he does for us now through his spirit, the motivating factor is his love for us. So as children of God, our motivating factor to relate with others should be what? Love. Love. That we would love well. And so I'm calling you to love well. Now we've got a lot to cover today and not a lot of time to do it. And so we're going to move quick. But I want to encourage you, if you're using the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or tablet, you can click more and then click events and follow along with the notes and points in there. You can even add your own notes as well. And that's just a great resource for you to interact with today's message. But the first value that we're going to look at is to live with hospitality. Say hospitality. hospitality. That we would live with hospitality. Now you'll find three or four of the terms I'm going to use today are words that don't often, we, we don't often say or use. And that's because I believe in our culture these are values that, that are, are waning. These are values that are not uh, practiced or understood or applied like maybe they once used to be. And I believe as Christians we have a, a call to get back to recapturing these. So hospitality, a lot of times we think of that in terms of uh, maybe uh, the hotel industry or restaurants or, or, or customer service. Um, but hospitality as a whole, I believe, is a lost and dying art. And, and, and for us, as, as people, what does hospitality mean? When I tell you to live with hospitality, being that love is a motivating factor, hospitality is our love and action. It's not just talking about our love. You know, it's easy to, to say you walk in love. It's easy to say I love that person. But it's a whole other thing to back it up, to walk it out, to, to, to act on our love. And, and that's what Jesus is calling us to do, to care for one another. In Romans 12, 13, Paul's writing, and he encourages them to contribute to the needs of God's people by pursuing the practice of what? Hospitality. Hospitality. The, the message translation says it this way, to be inventive in your hospitality. Which I take that as we're not just to be nice and just occasionally show love, but we are to be over the top. Uh, we, we have something to celebrate, something to be joyful about. We've been shown great love, and so we have a lot to show. And I believe we can be inventive and creative and warm in our hospitality. As believers, whether you like it or not, we are in the hospitality business. Amen. We're in the customer service business. We have a responsibility to treat other people well to be friendly, to be generous, to be welcoming, to be warm of our guests and even of strangers. How many of y'all enjoy a good customer service experience? If you've had a bad customer service experience, you likely won't go back to that restaurant or store or wherever it was. But when the product is good and when the customer service or the hospitality is over the top, you don't mind waiting. I've been to a restaurant before where maybe it was an hour wait. Just a couple weeks ago this happened. An hour wait. And my wife was ready to jet, but I was like, no, I like the product, <laughs> and they treat us well, so I'm going to wait. And when I was 13 years old, uh, I flew to Romania with my dad for a, for a um, missions trip, and our first flight was from Miami to, to Germany. 
Now, this was unlike any hospitality experience I've ever had on an airline. It was Lufthansa Airlines. It's a German airline. And when we got on this plane, it was two stories. It's a two-story plane. And there was, uh, there was little snack stations all over. The chairs fully reclined. They were leather. There was about this much space between you and your neighbor. And you had a TV in the headrest. And it wasn't like the little standard ones. I mean, this was like, it was legit. And I quickly learned before we even took off that my best friend was the little flight attendant button. First first time I pushed it out of curiosity. The second time I realized I pushed that button and a beautiful German woman shows up right next to my seat with a tray of snacks. Uh, uh, She had hot washcloths like soaked like with lemon juice that they put on your forehead to help you rest. She helped me find movies on my screen. I was pushing that button multiple times before we ever took off. And I asked my dad, I I, I said, how long is this flight? He said, it's about 11, close to 12 hours. And I was like, oh, man. And he said, don't worry. If you sleep, it'll, it'll go quicker. I said, no, I want it to be longer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my hope, my prayer is that Meadowbrook would be the friendliest place you encounter all week. That hospitality would be over the top. That welcome home would not be just something that we say, but something that we walk out and you feel that. And that even if service is full, even if the parking lot's busy and there's, there's a lot of people here, the product, the word of God, life-giving ministry is worth it. The over-the-top hospitality is worth it. And that you leave changed and transformed. Amen? So we are to live with hospitality. You should be the friendliest people, anyone that you know. Of anyone you know, you should be the friendliest people. Now, can you say that's the truth? Okay, of everyone you encountered this week, would they say you were the friendliest person that they encountered? And, and I'm not talking about um, obligatory joy. I'm not talking about being hospitable just because you know you're supposed to. It's one thing to do something because it, you know it's required of you, but it's another thing to do it because it flows from the heart. And over at the, the academy here at the church, we have Meadowbrook Academy, and my son's in K-5. So when I pull up and I drop him off, there's safety patrols out there, and they, they help him out, and their little catchphrase, they put on a smile, and they say, thank you, have a blessed day, have a blessed day. That's like their, their Chick-fil-A, my pleasure. <laughs> and so there's this one girl, God bless her, whenever she helps Gavin out of the car, she just kind of goes, how blessed day, how blessed day. No real expression. I can't even, if I didn't know what she was saying, I couldn't tell you what she was saying. And, and yes, I just made a sermon illustration of a fifth grade girl, but that's besides the point. God bless her. I don't, I don't know what she went through that morning. But for us as believers to show hospitality, I don't want us to just be putting on our game face because we know we're supposed to. I want it to flow out of us. I want us to be a hospitable people. And we are to learn, practice, and live in the art of hospitality. Amen. Number two, we are to live with civility. Say civility. Civility. I told you these were going to be terms that we don't normally use. Civility. What what does that mean? That we are polite and courteous in our behavior and in our speech. That we are polite and courteous in our behavior and in our speech. That we, we treat people politely. We speak to them politely. That we treat them how God would want us to act. Not just to the people that are like us but the people that are nothing like us. Because it's one thing to be civil with people who walk like you, talk like you, dress like you, think like you, believe the same things you do, vote the same way you do, they live on your block, you work at the same place. You, you, it's easy to be civil with those people. But what about the people who think nothing like you? They totally disagree with you. They, you have nothing in common. Those are the people I believe we are called to live civilly with. Now, it, it's very quiet. I, I, I might have hit a nerve. 
Civility is a lost value in our culture. There's a lot of rude, uncivil people everywhere you go. In the church, in, in government, in the marketplace, wherever you go, we encounter uncivil, rude people. And I think politics are the ultimate example of this. Uh, I, I'm, and I'm not just talking governmental politics, but social politics, workplace politics, governmental politics. Um, I think at its core, politics was something that should have been uh, tactful. And, and there was a certain degree of diplomacy involved. But when you observe politics, that's not the case at all. There's, there's nothing polite about it. And, and in our, our, our current uh, campaigns that we're observing and, and the debates, there, there's nothing tactful or civil. It's all ugly. It's demonizing. It's name-calling. It's mudslinging. It's just trying to make the other person look worse than you. And I'm not talking about a specific candidate. I'm not talking about a specific party because, frankly, they all kind of disappoint me. But we are called to be a civil people. And here, here's the thing. You can disagree with someone without being disagreeable. You can not see eye to eye with someone, but still present yourself in an agreeable way so as to not offend or turn that person off or, 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 or act hateful or in another way that Jesus would have acted. You can disagree without being disagreeable. In fact, you have to. Because I think ultimately, if we're disagreeing with someone, it's because we firmly believe something that is a value or a belief for us. So I think our goal would not be just to disagree, but somehow influence them or somehow find common ground or get them to see eye to eye with us on something, begin to start a dialogue or a conversation to hopefully influence that person's life. But you have to honor those you hope to influence. If you dishonor them, if you're uncivil, you're just going to alienate people. But if we as the children of God want to influence others, we have to honor them. We have to conduct ourselves in a civil way. We are called to be peacemakers and bridge builders. We have a job, we have a responsibility to make peace and to help build a bridge, that, that we would be a bridge between people and Jesus. And guess what? As a bridge, you're going to get walked on. Amen. Clap for that. If you're, if you're going to be a bridge, there's times where you're going to get walked on. And it's not going to feel good. It's not the most glorious position, but it is worth it because we are called to a higher standard. And ultimately, if we can help bridge someone to Jesus, then it was all worth it. I think so much of, of being civil is, is our word choice. It, it is tact. You know, I, I look at John 13 where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And he knows Judas is going to betray him. And he could say, everyone just stop for a second. Judas, you backstabber, I know you're going to turn me over. I know that, that ultimately I'm going to be crucified, and it's going to be because you went behind my back and, and you turned me in. He could say that. But he says this. He says, you are clean, though not every one of you are. He's washing another one of the disciples' feet, and he says, you're clean, though not all of you are. And a lot of them are probably like, what, what is Jesus saying? You know, there's a lot of things in Scripture. It's like, what was Jesus saying? You kind of got to study it out. He was very clever. But I'm sure Judas knew loud and clear what it was that he was saying. But yet he didn't say it in a disagreeable way. Elsewhere in Acts 17, Paul is, is preaching on Mars Hill. And he observes that the Athenians are religious. They're superstitious. They can't discern the true nature of God. Um, and he could just straight up be like, you know what? You pagan idolaters, you're going to hell. But he doesn't. He says, I see that you're conducting yourselves in a religious way. He's disagreeing, but he's starting a, a conversation. And I don't believe that discord or, or, or hate or, or strife is things that God likes. In fact, in Proverbs 6, there's a list of things that are an abomination to him. And in verse 19, it says, uh, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among his brothers. God does not like it when we sow discord or trouble. In fact, it says in Matthew 5, 9 in the New Living, it said, God's, God blesses those who work for peace, 
for they will be called the children of God. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be bridge builders. We are called to live with civility. And if we are going to influence those in our lives, we have to first honor them. Amen? Number three, we are to live with charity. There's another word we rarely use. You may give to a charity. You may know someone named Charity. But in a Christian lifestyle context, do you know what charity means? Basically, it is a a love for humankind. Again, we see that love is, is the thread. It's the motivating factor. And picture this big basket up here. And in that basket, well, first on the front, it says charity. Within that basket, we find compassion. We find sympathy, empathy, grace, forgiveness, patience, all these great values that we possess only as a result of putting God first and the difference he makes in our life. And so in life, we have this basket of charity. It shows love. And even though we encounter people that, that are irritating or we encounter people that are not like us, we can reach in that basket and we can show those things to them because God equips us to do so. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. It's love. In the King James Version, it actually says this. It says, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is what? Charity. The greatest is charity. And so we've been shown much love and grace and charity. And so we have a responsibility. We have a duty to show charity as well, to cut people some slack. How many of y'all encounter irritating people on a regular daily basis? You might have been irritated today since you got here by someone in this very room. And if they're sitting next to you, don't nudge them, especially if it's your mother. But there are irritating people in our lives. And, and, and maybe your workplace, maybe uh, the classroom. I don't know. Maybe it's at home. But I never irritate my wife. My, my wife never irritates me. It's Mother's Day. <laughs> my kids, they never irritate me. You know, it's great. Everything is, is rainbows and butterflies at home. Are you kidding? We, we irritate each other all the time. And I'm sure there's opportunity in your home where you maybe irritate each other as well. But, but here's the deal. L- let me back up and just be transparent for a second. I get most irritated in traffic. When, when people speed up and cut you off but then slow down, like what are they trying to prove? Or, or, if, it, or if they veer over and cut you off un- un- unintentionally because they were texting. Or maybe they're riding your, your butt. And uh, can we say butt in church? <laughs> they're on your tail. And you're already like 10 miles over the speed limit. It's like, why? That's when my flesh is put to, to the test. They're in the Chick-fil-A drive through line. Because you know they've got those, those dual lines. And everything's fine when you're placing your order. But as soon as you place your order, what happens? It, it narrows. It funnels to one line. And they have a system, but everyone is set. Like, I ordered my nuggets first. I'm getting my nuggets first. So you're like inching the other person out. And, and, and I find myself always getting so frustrated, like, I'm going to get my nuggets quicker than you. Get out of the way. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> and isn't that just like the enemy? You're there getting Christian chicken, but yet you're <laughs> falling into the flesh. It's in the times where you encounter irritating people that I believe charity is put to the test. And you can... Reach within that basket and pull out kindness and patience and grace and love and show those things to others. Plato said to be kind for everyone you know is fighting a hard battle. And I think in the morning when your feet hit the floor, you know exactly what battle you're facing. You know the things you're encountering. And you would hope that people would show you charity throughout the day as if they knew what you were going through. 
So in the same way, why don't you treat everyone else as if you knew exactly what they were going through? Realizing that they are, they're fighting a battle. It may not be the same as yours, but they're facing things. And I believe life would just be a lot better if we would show charity to others. Amen? We got six minutes and I got two more values. <laughs> Number four, we are to live with generosity. Generosity. Now that one out of the four, that may be the one you, you probably use the word most commonly. But I don't think we always act in generosity. Uh, we, we come into the world as, as selfish beings. We know what it's like to be generous with ourselves. That's called greed. That's called selfishness. That's how we come into this world. Uh, we come in wanting what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And if we don't get it, we cry and pitch a fit about it. Now, a lot of us, we may be 30 years old, 50 years old, 70 years old. We're grown adults, but yet we're still giant babies walking around crying about what we want. And I believe that we are never more like God than when we're giving. We're never more like God than when we're in the posture of living generously. Every time you are generous, you become more like God. Because it is the very nature of God to, live, or to be generous. For God so loved that he gave. He gave more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever give, more than we could ever repay. And so when we are generous, we are embodying a very attribute of God. And if you find yourself in the tendency of being greedy or selfish, I encourage you to be generous because generosity is the antidote to selfishness. I promise you, as you start to conduct yourself in a generous way, you'll begin to flip that, that, that uh, stronghold of selfishness or greed. In Luke 16, 9, it says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19 says, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Basically, I believe the road to heaven is paved with generosity. That, that we, will, we will be blessed for the, the good deeds that we did here on earth. But if we are selfish beings by nature... We don't drift into generosity. Something or someone challenges us to it. We, we don't just, ta-da, I'm generous. You don't drift into it. It's, it's, a, it's a pattern. It's a cycle. It takes effort. Uh, it's usually uh, challenged by need for, for something or someone else. And I want you to know that Meadowbrook Church, we are a generous church community. When you give to Meadowbrook Church, you're not just giving to these four walls to make this happen every week. But we help uh, support global missionaries in Haiti, Honduras, Mexico, Africa, India, Estonia, Latvia, and we give to Jewish ministries via ARC. Uh, we're, we're partnered with local organizations through the Salvation Army, Women's Pregnancy Center, Kimberly Center for Kids, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We have ongoing outreach through our small groups. We have in-house benevolence where we provide for families in need. We uh, partner with stateside organizations like Mercy Multiplied, which is a home for hurting girls with life-controlling issues. Uh, we don't just build Meadowbrook Church, but guess what? We're part of planning churches all over the world. A portion of all our giving goes to the Association of Related Churches, who have planted nearly like 500 churches to date all over the world. And that's an incredible thing to realize that we are being generous and partnering with those. Yeah. 
This last year, you helped us to not just financially support, but we even sent a team up to help plant the Move Church in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a young pastor from the Tampa area. Um, he's part of ARC, the Association of Related Churches, and we got on board with his vision and helped send them up there to plant a church. And I believe that's how the body of Christ should be. Shouldn't it just be about everyone's church and this camp or that camp, but that we are a family and we realize that Jesus builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a whole other sermon. But Proverbs eleven twenty four says that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. I want my world to expand. I don't want to be inwardly focused. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be greedy. I want to be a generous person. And my question to you would be, what are you doing with what you have? Like the parable of the talents, each servant was left with something. And when the master returned, he didn't compare what they did with what he left them to another person. He looked at him and said, what did you do with what I left in your hand? And so while some of us have more and some of us have less, all of us have something. And just like the widow in scripture, she gave two mites. Sure, there was people around her who gave much, much more, but she gave all she had. She felt her generosity. And I believe that true generosity is always felt. It's not always comfortable. It might always not make sense on paper. You may have a chance to talk yourself out of it. There's been times where Katie will say, babe, I feel like God's leading us to do that. And I'll be like, that wasn't the voice of God. That was some pizza you ate last night or something. But when we push ourselves to step across the line and, 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 and pass our discomfort, pass our selfishness, and be generous, I believe God can work through that in a beautiful way, and it is always worth it. We are called to be a generous people. 1129, we got one more value. Let's do this. Hey, and like I said, as I'm preaching this, if we go a little bit over, hospitality, what did I say? If the product's good... And the hospitality is good. You don't mind waiting a little longer. So anyways. Number five is that we would live with priority. Say priority. Priority. Live with priority. Now this is both a fruit issue, yes, but it is also a root issue. Because this goes back to how we relate to God. He must be our priority. We'll never be able to live in hospitality, civility, charity, generosity. We'll never be able to embody those things and relate to others in that way if we're not first living with priority and how we relate to God. We have to keep first things first. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus, at the age of 12, said, I must be about whose business? My father's business. He knew his purpose, and he made it his life's goal to fulfill that. He put God first in what God had sent him to do. 21 years later, when he hung on the cross, before he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. We must be committed to discovering our purpose, committed to putting God first and making that our priority. Now, life can be full of great things. Life can be full of good things and and fun things, but none of those things can be first. God must be our first priority. This is what I mean. Like, I, I have a beautiful wife. We have a great marriage. We have healthy children. They're fun. We have a great family and home life, beautiful home, great jobs, wonderful friends, an incredible church. We love our community. We love our town. So many things to be thankful for. But I cannot let any one of those things be the number one priority in my life. Now, that's hard. Like, like be real. Like, I can hug my wife. I can smell my wife. And, and to every day say, God, I put you first. That's hard when I can physically just hug my beautiful wife. But every day I, I, I start my day and I say, God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. If you're not in it, I can't do it. He has to be the first priority. And if you put him first, I promise that everything else will be so much better. If he is not in first place, everything else is in the wrong place. Everything else is 
out of place. And, and, and we've been at that place before where maybe life is really good. And you don't have a care in the world, a problem in the world. And that's when it's most easy to drift to autopilot or to let God slip. Be like, me and God, we're good. He's got my back. And he, he slips down third place or fifth place. Or you, you know, because things are just going good and you kind of forget. And the next thing you know, you're, you're face flat or you're, you're at your, your weakest, at your worst. And you cry out to God and say, where is God? And he's saying, I'm right here. I haven't moved. But where did you let me slip in your priorities? I believe a lot of times when you're in a hard season, you can trace back and look and say, God, I let you slip from being number one in my life. We must make him our first priority. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Put him first and watch everything else fall into place. Now, in summary, I said this at the beginning, life works better with a biblical worldview. Why? Because we, when we see better, we choose better. When we choose better, we can live better. And ultimately, when we live better, we relate better to God and to others. And the fruit of a biblical worldview is ultimately seen through the way we treat others. That we would be a people who live with hospitality, civility, charity, generosity, and priority. Did you get anything out of this today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MBC Ocala.